every day is made up of three things. I've got to look after myself, keep the show on the road. I've got to fulfill my obligations outside AA, page 19, and inside AA, chapter 7. And then I've got to have fun, because if I'm not enjoying my sobriety, my life is not going to be attractive to people who are looking for help inside AA. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio AA, deep in the heart of Texas, that thar was the voice of Mr. Tim M. That you heard at the beginning of this episode and you are going to hear so, so much more from him in just a moment, ladies and gentlemen. But first things first this here episode is brought to you by audrey and jason and mary lynn and laura and bill what you may ask did audrey and jason and mary lynn and laura and bill do to the to get such a mention on the sober speak podcast they well they went to our can't talk today they went to our sober speak website www.com soberspeak.com while they were there they may have checked out all the other little goodies that we have on the website however i know one thing they did for sure they went to that little yellow donate tab and they made a, a contribution so thank you so much audrey and jason and mary lynn and laura and bill this here episode is coming right out to ewan's Feliz Navidad to everybody. <laughs> I know, I realize as I'm saying that, that this it is August and Feliz Navidad is not even near us. However, I just wanted to say a couple of Spanish words. <laughs> Those were the first two words that came to mind. So... Feliz Navidad y Prospero Año. We'll probably say that again around uh, Christmas and New Year's, but nonetheless. I am John M. For those of you uh, tuning in for the very first time, and I am just another bozo on the bus, but I will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings. And guess what? I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, a virtual seat around this virtual table, and let's 
get started. So I am going to just do one piece of listener feedback on the beginning of this episode here today, and I will have none on the back end, and I'll catch up when I need to catch up. But I got this in from uh, Holly this week, and Holly wrote in, and she has copied both me and Amy and Rachel, who have both been on the podcast in the past. And she says, hi, friends, my DWI third one trial ended this week. By the grace of God, I was given five years probation. I was facing two to 10 in prison. Unfortunately, there is a, manda- there is a mandatory 10 days in jail time uh, with back time not counting. So I'm heading in today to get this box checked off the list. I'm super disappointed that I won't be able to attend the North Texas Roundup. I was so looking forward to hearing Amy on Friday. And finally, meeting all of you. John, I hope you will be featuring the speakers online on your podcast. God's peace to all of you. And then Rachel, uh, Rachel, once again, who's been on one of the episodes in the past, wrote back to her. She said, Holly, I am grateful that you will be taking care of the wreckage of your past. What a relief that must be. There will be more conventions and more opportunities to share moments with those that are on the same path. I am sure Amy can provide the information on who will be taping at the conference. Sometimes you can purchase them online. Going through the things that you have experienced will help someone. I know that for a fact said Rachel. She says, I see it every day. Do what you can each day to help another while you are in there, incarcerated, she means. Share your experience and may your path be lit to guide you. I'm so proud of you, Holly, and grateful that you are continuing continuing down your recovery path. Let us know how it goes. You might be surprised at what the universe has in store for you. I, Rachel, got the opportunity to go to jail in sobriety, and so did one of my very good friends. I was able to share my entire I was able to share my story in there with someone that needed to hear it, and so did my friend. We never know who is watching and listening, even in jail. Love and light all around you. Best regards, Rachel. Oh. Listen, uh, if you have not heard Rachel's episode, you got to go back and hear that. Uh, it is episode number, oh, I think it's uh, uh, one, tw- oh, I'm sorry, I lost it. Hold on just a second. Uh, uh, just, just uh, uh, I don't know, doodle or something or do whatever you need to do. Uh, it is episode number two. 120-220, and it's called Rachel W. Don't leave before the miracle happens. And Amy, if you haven't heard her as well, she is on episode number 177. Her episode is entitled <laughs> Prostitutes Don't Get Sober on Saturday. 
So <laughs> got to go here, Amy. Both Rachel and Amy will knock your socks off. Uh, you got to hear it. And, I, and I'm going to try to remember to put the link to their episodes in the show notes here. Sometimes I say I'm going to do that while I'm recording, and then I forget by the time I go to do all the post-production work and all that sort of stuff, but uh, I'm going to try to remember. But nonetheless, Rachel is episode number 220, and Amy is episode number 177, all right? And now, on to, speaking of, an episode that is going to knock your socks off This guy is fantastic. His name is Tim M. And we're calling this one Al-Anon and Alcoholics Anonymous completing the program. Tim, which you will figure out if you heard his clip at the beginning of this episode, you probably already know this, but Tim is from London in the United Kingdom and has been sober since... 1993, and in Al-Anon since 1995. So here's what happened with Tim. We started down the path of just kind of doing a regular AA episode, if you will, and it turns out Tim had a lot of information, which I was very interested in, regarding his involvement with Al-Anon. Uh, And it came up, so we spent uh, a a large amount of time addressing that. Uh, Tim's blog, and and this is another thing that I have to remember to put in the show notes, is uh, first164.blogspot.com. But once again, I'll put that in the the show notes. And uh, uh, he actually uh, talks about it uh, on the, the episode itself. But we get to address Tim's time at 15 years sober when he was, quote, jiggered (laughs) as he calls it uh and exactly what he did to get back on track at 15 years sober you will notice tim has an incredible amount of 12-step knowledge rolling around his head and i just love it he can just spit it out at at, it, it just rolls right off his tongue It's absolutely fantastic for those of you who have listened to the podcast in the past uh and you know david g um, it, to me, it reminds the, uh, Tim reminds me of David G, kind of like the United Kingdom or London version. And uh, so, anyway, you'll hear Tim talk. Tim talks about completing the program, as where I said, forgiveness and the seven things one must do to stay sober, and much, much more. Buckle up, enjoy the ride with Mister Tim, and. Um, once again, I'm not going to have any uh, listener feedback on the end of this one. I'm tra- I'm on a tight time frame with things this week, so but I'll catch up with it at some other time. Enjoy, Tim. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here. Well, I'm not actually sitting with him because he is across the pond, and we'll get that to that in just a moment. But uh, I am sitting here. I'm looking at at least Mr. Tim M. So Tim, why don't you go ahead? introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. By the way, I think they'll have a a real good uh, idea where you live once they hear you talk. Okay. So my name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic. My date of sobriety is the 24th of July, 
1993. Um, I'm from London and I'm now sitting about a mile and a half from where I was born. I don't travel well. I'm like good wine. So that's why I'm still <laughs> here, I guess. <laughs> so you're in London proper, is that right? Yeah, I'm in my office, which is in central London. And I'm watching all the hen parties go by, all the girls getting drunk on their Saturday night. So I've got a real spectacle outside my office window. <laughs> well, we'll have to get you to turn the uh, camera around <laughs> when we're done here so I can look at it all. <laughs> so uh, let me go, first of all say how I came across uh, Mr. Tim, and that is uh, I, uh, uh, several, many of you know, I have had a, a Joe Muck on the uh, uh, on the program many, many times. Uh, I say many times, three or four times, something like that. And uh, Joe referred me over to Tim, and he also gave me access to your website. Now, I want you to go ahead and give your website a little shout out and let people know what it's all about as well. Okay, well, it's, it's just a little blog. It's not affiliated with with AA at all. It's my own little thing. It's got all the disclaimers on there. Uh, it's really about my experience over the last 29 years with the big book, uh, with Al-Anon, with spiritual growth, with sponsorship. Um, it's got about seven, 1,700 articles on there uh, and counting. I seem to be writing with more frequency rather than less. So uh, history is still developing there. So are you writing the, the blogs yourself? Yes. Or, so, or is, yes. are the contributors? No, oh, no. Uh, yes, everything on there I, I've written. If, if so, I quote people. You know, I'll quote Clancy or Chuck Chamberlain or, or the Course in Miracles or all sorts of other things in the kind of Step 11 parts. Uh, but, yes, all the material on, on there is, is mine. For, for, and it's called First 164. Uh, it's a blogger. Uh, and that's to reflect the fact that it's those first 164 pages of the big book, which saved my my behind a number of years ago. Yeah. So and you spell out the word. What, how do you get to it? Like, I'll, I'll put the uh, link to it in the show notes. But just so people in case they're listening, how do you how do you spell that out? First one, six or. Yes, it's first F-I-R-S-T, uh, the numeral one, the numeral six, the numeral four. First and one, dot com, four. right? Yeah, uh, it's it's okay. uh, yes, it's it's a it's a blogger one. It's one. It's a Google blog. So okay. if you if you tap in first one six four blog blog spot, you'll find it. Okay, and just so uh, you know, I recently uh, when when Joe referred me over to it, I was looking through the website and I was really enjoying it. Uh, and this is uh, something else that people should know, I think, and that is there's a lot of speakers on there. Uh, some sort of kind of classic speakers. In fact, I recently put out as an episode one of the uh, speakers, uh, uh, the MP3s that I got off your website, and that was from Sandy Beach, mm. and uh, got a lot of good feedback on that. So anyway, uh, Tim has all kinds of things on the website. All right. The other thing I wanted to ask you about real quick is, so I know Joe and I know he's in Galveston, Texas. And my understanding, is he your sponsor? Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yes. He, he's my current sponsor. I refer to him as my current sponsor to keep him on his toes. 
<laughs> Good idea. Anything can change. Yeah. And so how did you come across him? How did you select him as your sponsor? Because, you know, Galveston, Texas and London, you know, two different cultures, you know, you have different time zones. How do you all work that out? Well, I don't think I selected him. I think the universe uh, was experiencing difficulties with me. And so it put me in the same virtual space as him. Many years ago, when uh, big book stuff started to burgeon on Facebook, all sorts of people started these big book groups. And one of them really took off, this, this big book Facebook group. And my friend Ed S., from from uh, London, Ontario, uh, he set it. He set up one of these, and it got thousands of people. And uh, he was looking for moderators, and he was looking for for moderators. He needed people to help him moderate it, and so he looked amongst the people who are regular contributors and just invited me and Joe and someone else. And now the curious thing is, um, I was all 15, 16 years sober at the time. Uh, and my first 15 years were very like the sort of Pacific group AA, really nice and sort of simple and straightforward and straight down the line. Um, command and control structure. I, I rather liked it. It got me well. And I drifted from that and I'd done lots of other things. But I was jiggered at 15 years sober in various ways. Some things were wonderful, some things were terrible. And I found a set of tapes by Joe H and Mark H. And I heard lots of big book stuff that I had never heard before because the big book was not used in London AA at the time. At least I, I, it was almost never referred to. It was read out at lots of meetings, but it wasn't used systematically. I listened to these tapes. I thought, I've missed not just a trick. I've missed major chunks of the program. So I wrote down everything that Mark and Joe said, and I they referenced Don P. They referenced Gary B. They referenced other people, Paul M. from Riverside, uh, Chicago. All sorts of people they referenced. I listened to them. Big Frank, Big Frank McKay from Denver. I listened to them. I wrote down what they said. And I thought, right, I'm going to literally do everything that they suggest doing straight out of the big book and see if this rotten thing actually works. I, For years, <laughs> I've been saying that all of the promises in the big book were Bill W's marketing material, that it was hyperbolic, it wasn't real. The only way of really testing scientifically is to literally do what he asked and see if I got the results. And I got the results. So problems melted out of my life in all sorts of areas, which I thought I was going to have to live with forever. Anyway, cut a long story short, back to the Facebook group, it became apparent that Joe knew these people who'd made the tapes that had changed my life and, in fact, had been running around Texas with them in the 1990s. And I had asked one of them directly for sponsorship. I tried to get hold of various people, couldn't get hold of anyone, uh, either couldn't trace them or they were dead or they were whatever, weren't willing to sponsor long distance. Um, there's a lot more long distance sponsoring now. There was very little then. Anyway, I asked Joe. He asked his then sponsor a certain uh, Robert, <laughs> not of this <laughs> parish, of another parish, um, 
one of the party towns. Let's just leave it at that. Who said, yeah, you need to you need to sponsor this guy in London to stop him messing up London, having had his spiritual experience the way you messed up Texas. You've had to, oh. your amends to Texas are to stop the same thing happening to London. So he took charge of me <laughs> at that point. <laughs> that's great and how do y'all work out the you know obviously you can't see each other on a day-to-day basis or anything like that so how do you work out the the time zone differences doesn't make any difference at all uh i've got sponsors around the world the only difficult locations are new zealand and australia which are somewhere between nine and 13 hours apart depending on the time of year there it's difficult. There's a short window in the morning, a short window in the evening. But Texas is only six hours behind the UK. So there's a huge chunk of time, which is fine. I know what time he gets up and is available to sponsor people when he can take phone calls. And and you know what? There have been times um, when I've talked to him when he's on his satellite phone in the desert and it's easier to get hold of him than someone in London. So I I don't see any difficulties whatsoever. I had a a sponsee many years ago, a guru, 12, maybe 15 years ago in New York, who said I was easier to get hold of than any anyone he knew in New York. So the dist I don't think the distance makes a difference. Not not after you've been sober for a while. When you're new, there are some difficulties with long distance sponsoring in with very few exceptions. But if you've been through the program once uh, or it's, people are very remote, you have to do it. But otherwise, it works very, very well. It doesn't cause any problems at all. Good for you. By the way, I do want to let you know that in the the history of Sober Speak, uh, and we've had, I don't know, close to 240, 250 episodes, something like that, I have never heard the word jiggered. So I am assuming jiggered is not good. I could just say just how you used it in a sentence. Am I right? That's right. It just means I was I, I was up the swanny without a paddle. I was up, up a gum tree. I was. Uh, I'm trying not to. You you, you see, I, I gather you're in Texas or somewhere similar. Yes, uh, so, I am. so I was trying to, to to very carefully avoid profanity. So I went with Glaswegian <laughs> slang instead. I think they say jiggered in Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's interesting you say that. My mom was born and raised in Glasgow. Uh-huh. Uh, she's not with us anymore. My understanding is it's a, uh, especially when she was young, it was a tough spot. Uh, but uh, anyway, all right. So let's get into a little bit of Tim and you know what it was like, what happened, uh, what it's like now. What I mean, you you kind of start where you would like to start. Well, what? how about I give you a snapshot of what it was like, uh, well, a snapshot of what I was like, rather, a snapshot of what happened, a snapshot of where I am now, and then you can dig in whichever graveyard seems most interesting, <laughs> potentially to your, to your listeners. Uh, so I, I'm, a, I'm a common or garden alcoholic. Uh, I didn't take drugs. I didn't do other things. I was just drunk for years. Uh, I loved it. I drank buckets of it. Uh, everyone in my family is unwell one way or another, but my brother was an alcoholic who died of alcoholism in his 20s. So the history was there. I knew the writing was on the wall from even before I started. This is what happens in our family. I started drinking. I thought, well, I'm. it's going to kill me. 
I don't mind. I'm going to go out with a bang and probably take a few years. But I became distressed at the end of my drinking, which was uh, at the age of 20, 21, at the fact it wasn't killing me. It was just making life impossibly painful and destroying the lives of everyone around me. It was impossible. It had become untenable. I was drinking so much that I was physically incapacitated by it. But so a liter of spirits um, a day. But my mind was now still clear. So when I was drunk, I needed a drink because I needed something to take the pain away, to take the emotion away, because drink had stopped working. But I could drink vast quantities of it. So I couldn't do anything else with my life because when I was sober, I wanted to be drunk. When I was drunk, I needed to be sober. So I went round that little merry-go-round for a while. I tried stopping for the first time at the age of 18. I stayed stopped for a couple of months, started again. And this happened two or three times. I could stay stopped for a few months. The last time I tried to stay stopped, I lasted two weeks, had another go, and I couldn't go 24 hours. I ran out of money. I didn't work because I couldn't, because I couldn't get a job, because I shook and stank. And I had no skills and nothing to offer whatsoever. Um, uh, beyond in debt, I had no money, nowhere to get drink from. It was a flash that caused me to phone AA. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. This was January 1993. So six months before my last drink. Uh, it was a period of six months where initially I just did what everyone around me did, which was go to meetings and talk to people. And that got them sober. It didn't get me sober in that way. Well, it didn't stop me continuing to drink periodically. The one thing I didn't try in that six month period was everything. I needed to do everything I was told without exception, without question, without justification, without defense, without objection, without argument. I just needed to do it. And the last time I drank on the 24th of July, 1993, I was run over. I was arrested. It was a real mess. And I realized I'd known for some time I have to give up drinking forever. But what I hadn't realized was that forever needed to start today, because if I drink today, there may not be a tomorrow. So I found a decent sponsor. There were some indecent sponsors before that. I found a decent sponsor who uh, took me through the steps in the first nine months. Um, he called me, he, his nickname for me was Princess Parfait. I think maybe he didn't actually know what my name was. So he just used to call me Princess. But he said, uh, he, he Why said, Why did to he my, pick that? Well, well it, do you have any idea? I'll tell, I'll tell you the story. I, I, I think I was a little princess. Um, uh, I did like things my own way. I was, I had a nasty case of special and different on top of my alcoholism. And he had some, I was scribbling my step four, sitting on the floor in the corner of his apartment in London. And some friends of his, very smart and dashing, came in visiting for, from, from Washington, D.C. And after a while, they noticed there was someone in the room apart from him. And it was this little creature in the corner <laughs> writing it step four. And they said, who's that? And he said, oh, that's princess. She does everything she's told. <laughs> so that was my only explanation for it. 
And I did. I did everything I was told. But where, where it started to go wrong, um, they say AA gives you your marbles back. And it gave me my marbles back. But I took my marbles and went and played with them outside AA. In other words, I thought, marvelous. This is great. My character defects are being removed. I'm being trained how to live, how to interact, how to work. This means I now, now have the excellent necessary skills to succeed in the world. And I spent a number of years trying to succeed in the world. And I did. And it was ashes in my mouth. And I wanted to die a lot. I left AA, didn't drink, left AA, came back desperate, reclusive and lonely. And then it was a period of five or six years of gradually piecing together. First of all, doctor's opinion, listening to Chris R. from from at the time he was from Ingram, he's from somewhere else now, lots of very famous speaker, mm -hmm. listening to him talking about the doctor's opinion, listening to Father Tom W. from Oakland, all of the Al-Anon stuff. I'm an Al-Anon member as well, uh, a huge Al-Anon streak running down my back. I've been an Al-Anon since 1995. Uh, listening to box set after box set of those materials. Eventually, uh, at 15 years sober, I had the experience with the big book, barnstorming spiritual experience, head blew off. I did the steps just from the tapes without a sponsor over around six weeks between April and June, uh, or it must have been 2009. Uh, I got a bit, I did my step five with a couple of old AAs. I got some input on a handful of the step nines, but basically I just did what the book said. And uh, I haven't looked back. So since then, I've been doing vast amounts of service, lots of sponsorship. My outside life is, is absolutely splendid. I enjoy my work. I have no personal ambition, but I enjoy my work enormously. Uh, I'm married, um, happy as anything, no complaints at all. Because when I've got a problem, I haven't got a problem. I've got a higher power. The higher power has a problem. And as Dr. Paul O would say, he has a pretty good track record of solving problems. So I put the problem in God's hands and say, right, if you need me to do something about this problem, you tell me. Otherwise, I'm just going to get on with the next right thing. And that's all I do. The next right thing. Every day is made up of three things. I've got to look after myself, keep the show on the road. I've got to fulfill my obligations outside AA, page 19, and inside AA, chapter 7. And then I've got to have fun, because if I'm not enjoying my sobriety, my life is not going to be attractive to people who are looking for help inside AA. Because, uh, yeah, being sober is enough, but newcomers don't know that. <laughs> they want something more. So we've got to show them there is a lot more. On a, <laughs> you know, on a good day, there's a lot more. So that's, that's the basic thumbnail sketch. Okay, let me do a little... Uh... Introduction, a little uh, station identification. We'll be continuing our conversation with Tim M. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at SoberSpeak.com. Um, you can also find the donate button on our website. You can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Okay, so I, I, I do want to uh, kind of step back a little bit and talk about your, uh, we have a lot of people from Al-Anon who listen to this uh, podcast as well. <clears throat> Can you talk about your experience in Al-Anon and how you got in there and, and what prompted that? Oh, how long have you got? Okay. <laughs> so what first got me in there was I got into a relationship with another AA member when we were both, uh, 
relatively new. So I was a year and a half sober. He was a few months sober. It was done with great decorum. Uh, so he had a sponsor. I had a sponsor. I've done the steps. He was doing the steps. We kept our program separate. It was a very bounded and healthy relationship, surprisingly. But I was frightened he was going to drink, which got me into Al-Anon. That's what got me in. But what I discovered around 10 years uh, in AA was that I've been an intergroup meeting or an equivalent of area and district in America. And there'd be some tension in the room, usually to do with the treasury. It's always about money. And <laughs> I realized that I had stopped breathing, that the alcoholics aggression towards other people in the room turned me into a deer in the woods like the deer stops breathing if it breathes it'll move if it moves a twig will break and the wolf will get it there was a sensitivity there i realized that i was spending far too much time thinking about the internal worlds of other alcoholics in aa sponsees members of my home group. Uh, my Al-Anon pro problem boils down to four things, which are all to do with boundaries and responsibility. Number one, I don't take responsibility for myself. I'm fix so busy fixing everyone else. First of all, I'm innocent. The problem lies out there. It's them. It's the sick alcoholic. It's the narcissistic, toxic jerk that's the problem. I'm fine. I'm the victim, I'm aggrieved, and I have no time to look after myself because everything is an, a mess. If I don't keep the plate spinning, who will? Secondly, I take responsibility for everyone else. Rather than taking responsibility for me, I take responsibility for everything else. Hypervigilant, watching whatever is going on, fixing problems, controlling, bulldozing, anticipating. I won't let alcoholics take responsibility for themselves. Uh, I make excuses for them. I clean up after them. I hoover and dust in the midst of their self-destruction. I'm enthusiastic about their recovery so they don't have to be. And then I've, this is the, we haven't even got to the crazy bit. I look for <laughs> alcoholics, alcoholics, if you believe, to fix me. It can be sponsors. <laughs> it can be in a romantic way. Alcoholics have an exciting edge to them. The non-alcoholics do not have. There's an access to a higher power, drunk and sober, that when I'm lacking, I will seek it in them. And of course, if they fail, again, everything is their fault. It's not my fault. So it's 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 win-win. And so all of these problems boil down to dysfunctional dysfunctional relationships with alcoholics stemming from a lack of boundaries. Where do I stop? Where do they begin? What am I responsible for? What are they responsible for? So it's, it's taken a lot of Al-Anon to unpick those boundary problems. And I still, I go to five Al-Anon meetings a week at the moment. I love it. It's and so do you go to uh, uh, in-meeting Al-Anon persons or in-meeting uh, AA or is this all virtual? Uh, so in London, I go to two face-to-face AA meetings, one on a Friday night, one on a Saturday night. Uh, I do five online Al-Anon meetings a week. I do three online AA meetings a week. My home group is the uh, Breakfast Club at Group 12 in San Antonio, Texas. I absolutely love it. 
Uh, I've been to, to to Club 12 in San Antonio on a couple of occasions. Ah. And also uh, some friends of mine and I uh, run a morning meditation meeting online, 20 minutes, 7 to 7.20 in the morning UK time, big book reading, another spiritual reading, two-minute shares, bang, done by 7.20. And there are a couple of other workshops I do as well, Alan on an AA workshop. So I keep myself very busy in the world of recovery. So if somebody wanted, are, are those open to the public, the ones you yes. just talked about? Yes. And, okay. And how would somebody find them? On your website? If, or Yes. If they go to first164.blogspot.com, all the details are on there, including contact details for me if people need to contact me for any reason. Okay. Oh, so it is the, the blog spot you have to put yeah. in there, right? Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting to me. So um, do you think you spend more time within Alcoholics Anonymous or within Al-Anon? Or is it equal? I think that the meeting time is pretty, is 50-50, I think. Uh, most of my sponsees... Um, I've got about 17, 18 people who are currently in some kind of step process at the moment, step or concept or tradition process. Three or four of those are Al-Anon-y, the rest are alcoholics. But you see, the alcoholics usually have an Al-Anon streak. So when I take people through the steps, the step one is different, but after that, it's all the same. So all of the Al-Anon material, because the Al-Anon material is basically insight into character defects, specific character defects to relationships with alcoholics and crazy people, and some specific solutions, which actually largely align with the traditions and concepts of AA anyway. So in my case, the two things have merged in my program but the fellowships, I keep them different. So when I'm in AA, I speak AA, and very occasionally I mention Al-Anon. When I'm in Al-Anon, they don't know I'm in AA. Well, maybe they do, but I don't. I don't in meetings. My home group, I I don't broadcast it, so they wouldn't know from anything I say in the meeting that I'm an AA member because we leave our hats at the door when we're in the meeting. Gotcha. And I just thought about this, you know, how you said you have visited the, uh, the, the 12, what's it called? Club 12 in San yeah. Antonio. Do you know Jim Debbie by any chance? Yes. Yes, I, I do. I, um, was, was, it's the wrong phrase because we're all on a level, but given an audience with him many years ago, I, that I'm, I'm being facetious there. Uh, I had some problems and, uh, so Joe put me in touch with him he said, prepare your questions, come to my office at this time. So we spent an hour uh, on the question of relationships and on the question of when you're resentful or dissatisfied with the person you're in a relationship with, and it could be a best friend, it could be an intimate relationship, it wouldn't matter which. How do you deal with it? Um, now, I thought I thought he was going to say, well, you talk about the relationship with the person you're in the relationship with. Of course, you talk it out. You're honest. You're candid. All of those wonderful things that the culture tells us we have to be to have good relationships. Good relationships require communication. He said the opposite. He said, if you've got darkness inside you about the other person you're in the relationship with, do not bring that into the relationship. Do not make that the other person's problem. You deal with that stuff with your sponsor, with your higher power, and you bring your higher self to the relationship. 
That's who they deserve. They do not deserve to have a front row seat to your unprocessed psychological whatever. And uh, it was the most wonderful advice. And I followed it eventually. There was a little, <laughs> there was a little blip. I leaked. I leaked with my other half. I leaked some material I shouldn't have leaked. And it took a year for us to get back on track. But he was absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, when I dealt with the problems that I had internally, I suddenly realized I had no problem in the relationship. And it's what, it's what Sandy B, who you referenced, would say, that your problems with other people and your relationships with them are to do with not having forgiven something you need to forgive or not having made an amend. Now, occasionally, there's little bits of negotiation about how we're going to do common endeavors. So tradition two can come in. The concepts can come in, you know, domestically, my other half and I. We've been together for 18 years. We divide up responsibilities. We have certain things we decide together. We have certain things which are kept neatly apart. So there's application of the traditions and the concepts, but my other half and I do not discuss our relationship with each other. What we do is, uh, for instance, we say, is there anything you'd like me to do? Is there anything I can do to help you? Is there anything you would like me to start doing, stop doing, or do differently. If my other half is upset with me, he takes himself away and deals with it. If I'm upset, I take myself away. And when I come back, I say I'm back. Hmm. Because it's our higher selves that are in the relationship. It's not the ego, because egos can't connect. And I've never had such a placid relationship on any level in my life. And it, it comes directly from that dis one hour discussion with Jim W. Wow. So just so you know, I, I recorded Jim recently and I'm going to be releasing uh, his oh, episode. The guy's wow. been, <laughs> he's been sober for 65 years. I told him if there was a pension program, he'd qualify <laughs> for it in Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> I think it's great. Um, so, Earlier, you mentioned that you got into Al-Anon because you were scared about your partner uh, drinking. First of all, is that the same partner that you're with today? No. Or is, there, or is it's a different one? Okay. Yeah. So did that person ever go back out and drink by any chance? They did. They did. After so your fears came true. Well, mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a sense, I mean, that was, a, that was many years later. They're now back 20 years, it must be. So that, that it must be around 20 years they're sober now. So, yes, it, it but it sorted it, it sorted itself out. But by then, by then I detached from that that notion. The thing is, if you sponsor enough people, you learn how to be, be detached about when people relapse. You can't let yourself be dragged into it or dragged down. I've made mm. mistakes, but that's the big lesson to stay above the problem. If I get involved in the problem, I become part of the problem. I've got to recognize that I'm, this is an Al-Anon idea, I'm okay, regardless of whatever is happening around me, let it break around you, they say in Al-Anon, let it break around you. Say, say, so I, I'm trying to figure that out. Go into that a little, let it break around you. What does that mean? Let it break around you. So you imagine yourself, I don't know, in a, in a china shop 
and there's a bull raging around the china shop you just let the bull rage and it's going to break everything you can't be trying to get in between the bull and the china wow yeah i, I like that visual that really makes a that makes a lot of sense to me um i also want to go back to the time when you were jiggered at uh, 15 years and I know you talked about it a little bit, but, you know, there are people uh, in the the program who have originally when I first started this, I, I didn't really know who would be listening. But I, I, I have found that a lot of people with, uh, uh, you know, long term sobriety uh, listen to this. Uh, and I want to get your kind of perspective on, um, you, you know, what was the turning point in that 15 years? And, you know, what was the solution? And I know you described it a little bit, but can you go into it a little deeper? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've got a couple of things here. Um, the first one is this notion of completing the program. There's a funny little bit of AA mythology and it comes from good old Bill, so I, I don't want to detract too much from that. But he says the only step you can take perfectly is step one. The rest can't be taken perfectly. Now, in a sense, that is absolutely true. However, I can complete step four. I can complete step five. I can complete step eight. I can complete step nine. It's like making a cake. You can follow the recipe perfectly, but if you're not a professional chef, it may not look like a professional's professional's cake but you've still you've done it so i wouldn't give you tuppence for how i did some of my amends but i did them i did my best so the results were not perfect but they were complete and there's a difference between perfection and completion and my problem in my first 15 odd years was i hadn't been systematically shown how to forgive um the material on pages 64 to 66 of the big book I had read and understood, but not applied systematically to every single emotional disturbance in my life. I had not made every single last amend. I'd made most of the big ones. I'd wheedled my way out of various of them. I'd got the wheedling out co-signed by people who also hadn't completed their amends. Um, I wasn't bad on the complacency front. I wasn't complacent. I was pretty good about working with others. There are seven things that you have to do according to the big book to stay sober, that you have to get rid of resentment. You have to stop harming other people. You have to tell the secrets. You have to make all the amends, do your utmost to straighten out the past. You have to make arrangements with your creditors. You have to be wary of complacency and, and act to remedy that and then work and self-sacrifice for others. So I was fine on complacency. I was fine on working with others. Um, I'd paid back the creditors, which was good. I didn't have any secrets to speak of. There was a step five and that was very helpful. But the big things were, uh, I, I wasn't really harming anyone. It was the forgiveness and the amends. Now, until those are done, I'm still in the illusion 
that I'm a separate being running around the world in competition with the world for a limited supply of goods which are there to fix me. I was looking for the world to fix me in a hundred different ways. And of course, I'm going to do that because I'm disconnected from my source of power, which is God. If I have any amend which is unmade, which I have not done my utmost to make, if I have any grievance, which I have not done my utmost to rid myself of, then my blockage to God God is in place and I'm going to look everywhere but God because the guilt which is associated with mentally attacking other people and having harmed them without having made amends that guilt is so profound it it makes me frightened what am I frightened of God so the one thing which is going to fix the problem is the one thing I'm terrified of which is why I would get locked in that cycle so the the the, the way out of this I think is very very simple Paul M. Uh, his grapevine articles are excellent. I've got them all copied onto my onto my blog somewhere or other. Uh, he writes about there being no problem that an AA member can have that will not be solved by consistent and consistent and repeated application of all twelve steps. So I go through the steps at the moment. Uh, once a quarter, it's in my diary. I run through the first nine steps, make sure that nothing is missed. I do it in a day and I'm done. And I'm set with my corrective measures and my sane and sound ideals for the next three months. That keeps the deck clear. That stops me from getting too, getting my fingers into too many sticky pies. And there are lots of those in the world. It stops things from building up. And it's the same. It's always the same answer. It's the steps, the steps, the steps. So we're we're running down to the. By the way, let me ask you this real quick. So you said those seven things that you need to do to stay sober, and I was trying to write some of them down. I couldn't yeah. get all of them. But where did you get? Like I've never heard it broken down in terms of seven things. Did you uh, get that yourself? Is there some sort of resource? How did you come up with that? Oh, well, it's straight from the book. I'll, I'll see if I can remember page numbers. So on page 66, it talks about if we hold on to resentment, we cut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit and the insanity returns and we drink and for us to drink is to die. Um, what's the next one? It talks uh, on page 73 about if we hold on to secrets, we're sure to drink. It talks on pages... 69 to 70 about if our sexual behavior continues to harm other people. And I think that's true of any harmful behavior. If we continue and we're not sorry, we drink again. And it says, this is not theory. That is our experience. Um, on page 77, it says that we wouldn't get over our drinking until we do our utmost to straighten out the past. It talks on ooh, 78 about how we have to be willing to face our creditors uh, or we'll drink again. I'm pretty sure it says something about drinking there. And then 85, you've got complacency sitting on your laurels. Alcohol is a subtle foe. And then Bill's story, pages 14 to 15, uh, if an alcoholic didn't perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he was going to drink again. So those Got are the you. seven... Those are the that, seven points. That is van. Yeah, I, I love that. That's fantastic. So I see what you did, like the the pieces of the book where it says he's sure to drink again or whatever the case may be. That's the uh, pieces you took that out of. That's great. 
I, I think, do you have, is that on your blog spot? Yes. Okay. If, if you, if you tap in death threats in the search bar, that should come up with it. <laughs> death threats? Death threats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, what would you? Uh, it, you're talking to a lot of people out there. You know, some are especially for the newcomer, right? Who's just trying to get sober, and they're just trying to get out of the gates. Um, why don't you talk to them, share experience, strength, and hope here to kind of wrap it up and let them know what you would like them to know in regards to your experience, strength, and hope. Okay, so if if I had a newcomer in front of me, I'd say that there's a little bit of bad news here. When I was at school, um, high school, uh, we'd go on school trips and the bad kids would sit at the back of the bus with the vodka bottles, jeering and doing all sorts of mischief. And the good kids would be sitting at the front talking to the teachers. Now, if you, you have to, you have to uh, steal yourself to do this in AA, but... You see, I had to realize my bread was buttered on that side. I, my life depended on me sitting at the front with the teachers. And who are the teachers? The, Clancy talks about the winners are the people who are currently trying. So I sit at the front of meetings. I take full part. I find the people who are at the extreme end of applying this program systematically. Um, I might not want to hang out with them socially, but I got to look at who who understands how this program works, who has time to show me. I've got to be right at that end of the scale because alcoholism is deadly and it's on a schedule. Uh, people say it's not a race. It is a race. It's a race against the ego. See, the ego is destroyed temporarily. Or, or deactivated temporarily by a rock bottom, which creates space for a person like me to ask a question, say to the universe, help me do, help me do something about this. But bit by bit, the ego is going to start to grow back to build walls between me and other people. I need to get in there to connect with other people who are going to show me how this program works. I would avoid people that say a step a year, or I wish you a long, slow recovery. Find the people who are going to get you through the steps, particularly the confession in step five, the amends in step nine, to get you working with other people, to get a solid daily program, pages 84 to 88 of the big book. You can come back. You want to get the big luggage out of the way now. You can come back for the hand luggage for the rest of your life. You want to get your luggage off the carousel and make it make it out of here. So that's what I that's that's the advice is to treat this seriously. You, Mr. Tim, are quite a dynamo. Uh, I really didn't know what I was getting into on this uh, interview, and uh, but I'm uh, so glad uh, we were able to talk. Uh, we always close it up here with uh, page 164 from the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of yeah, clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 
you have so much energy. You're so well-spoken. And uh, I, this was just really cool. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening in London. And uh, hopefully we talk again real soon, okay? Well, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. So thank you very much. Thank you.